2,500 years ago, the nation of Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Babylon was the world's dominant empire and system. God's people spent 70 long years far from home in Babylonian captivity. Just as the nation of Judah was taken into captivity 2,500 years ago, we, as God's people today, can find our hearts being taken captive by today's world system. But soon, this Babylon we are in will be gone, just like the one from 2,500 years ago. And if this is where our hearts are, if this is where all our hopes, dreams, plans, identity, and worth is found, then we have a problem. To give your life to the way of the Babylonians will be a catastrophic waste of your life. Our bodies might be in Babylon, but our hearts can be at home. Where is home, you ask? Our true home is not a place, it's a person. We were created to live with God, even better, to live in God, abide in me, dwell in me, live in me. That's what Jesus tells us to do. That was God's plan and purpose all along in creating mankind, for us to dwell with him in a personal, real, living and breathing relationship. And when God is our home and we dwell with him, dwell in him, then and only then will our souls truly find the rest we long for. There really is no place like home. There really is no person like Jesus. But we need to walk in wisdom because with every breath we take, the powers of modern-day Babylon are seeking to lure us into captivity. Over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about the things that take our hearts into captivity, away from abiding in Christ, dwelling in Christ, living in Him. We've talked about idolatry, and we've talked about busyness, and we've talked about digital distractions. We've talked about apathy and illiteracy toward the Bible. And today we want to talk about another chapter. We're going to call this chapter today Negativity. Oh my, negativity. This is probably going to be the worst sermon I've ever heard, right? Negativity. Do you know who the number one influence on your life is, by the way? You. The person that you hear talking to you more than anybody else is you. We are all in a never-ending, it seems, conversation with ourselves, speaking to ourselves, speaking to our souls. I don't mean that you're talking to yourself out loud, all right? That would be weird. I mean, like, who would really do that? That's the sermon for a whole nother day, if that's what you're into, is talking to yourself. But we're talking about that inner conversation that we oftentimes have with ourselves, saying things to ourselves that shape our ideas, that shape our attitudes, that shape our speech, the way we talk to or with or about other people. This inner conversation forms and shapes the way that we behave in the world that we live in. Most importantly, that inner conversation is always shaping your view of God. Nobody has a bigger impact on your life than you do. Now, let me ask you some questions. Does that internal conversation of yours that you're always having, does it tend to be God-centered? Is, is more times than not that inner conversation that you're having with yourself, is it, is it a conversation that is just encouraging your faith in Jesus? 
to see his greatness and his bigness and to trust him wholeheartedly? Is it a conversation that's reminding you of how faithful he is, that no matter what's going on around me, God is faithful? Is that the theme of the conversation in your own mind? Does this conversation that you're having within yourself, is it typically one that helps you to think positively about the people around you, the people that we share this planet with? Even the people that you may not agree with, you may not really even understand where they're coming from. Do you find this inner conversation is one that's typically saying about those people things like, God, I praise you that although I don't understand this person, they're an image bearer. They bear your image, and I love them because you love them. And is that inner conversation about that? Like, God, I don't get where this person's coming from, and we don't understand each other, and they just cut me off in traffic. But help me to share and show your love to those people. I'm I'm positive, right? That's the kind of conversations most of us in this room, because doggone it, we go to Grace Life and we got our stuff together around here, right, huh? No, from the giggles and the laughters, we know way better than that. Let me ask you this question. Would you be comfortable if I told you we have the technology back there now that for the next hour we're going to play a summary of your thoughts from last week through the speakers here and out through the live stream. It's going to be archived on our YouTube channel. Would you, be, would you be good with that? Most of us, all of us, would probably, if that happened, run screaming out of the room and never, ever show our faces anywhere close to these people ever again. There's this invisible war that's always going on within us, right? It never stops. 24-7 inside our minds, it's the battle for our minds, for our thoughts, because whatever controls your mind is what controls your life. Whatever's in control of your thoughts is what controls your life. And if there's one word that probably is the best overarching theme word for what is the normative conversations that we're having with ourselves is probably that word negativity. We seem to always drift toward the negative in our minds and in our thoughts. And negativity is this captor that is always at work to draw us away from intimacy with Jesus, closeness with Jesus. Negativity wants to put us into captivity, into a place that is dark and dreary and dreadful and discouraging and apart from abiding in and dwelling in Christ. And some of you may be there today. It may be that today you have not been abiding in Christ. You've not been dwelling in him. You've not been walking in his presence, experiencing the fullness of his glory in your life because there's just this persistent and prevalent heaviness of negativity that's like a hurricane that just keeps swirling around in your mind. I'm told that the average person has 10,000 thoughts a day. Think about that. You've already had hundreds, maybe even a couple of thousands. Some of you are still in the single digits, but welcome to Grace Life today. <laughs> You're getting there. Now imagine this morning that 
somebody comes into this room and gives you $10,000. Well, today's your day. We're not just going to, I'm just kidding. Imagine that happened. And they said, okay, you get $10,000 today, but here's the catch. You've got to spend every dime of it today before the day is over. You know what most of us would do? We would take a moment to think about, whoa, okay, let me think about this. What am I going to do with this, right? We, we, we would think intentionally. Now, now, for some of us, it might not take that long, right? But, but we might think at least 15, 20 seconds, right? Some of us are going to think, okay, I'm, it's not every day somebody hands me $10,000 to spend it all in a day. I really want to think strategically about this. Some of you purposeful people might even take the majority of the day, right, to sit down with your Excel spreadsheet and the, you know, pros and cons and to seek wise biblical counsel because you don't want to blow this opportunity because you got $10,000 and you got to spend every single one of those before the day is over. And yet, listen, every day we're given a fresh reset of 10,000 thoughts. And seldom, if ever, do we pause and think about how am I going to use these 10,000 thoughts in my life today? I'm not going to get these 10,000 thoughts back. They're all going to be spent today. And I don't want to waste them. I I don't want to just throw them away on useless thoughts and destructive thoughts and negative thoughts. And so I want to sit with the Lord before I do anything else today. I want to sit with Him and sit in His Word and say, God, these 10,000 thoughts, I want them to belong to You. I want them to be Your thoughts. And so would You help me to know how I can... Think rightly today with each and every thought that I'm going to have. Now, let me be clear about this. The antidote to negative thinking is not positive thinking. Today, we're not going down the self-help, pop Christianity road here. Just be positive. Don't worry. Be happy. Remember that, Bobby McFerrin, right? That's right. That's not the road we're, we're going down today. The antidote to negative thinking is not simply positive thinking. There's this movement that's really popular in our world right now that psychologically, if you can just get yourself to a positive place and think positive thoughts and say positive things, you can speak positive things into existence and you can keep negative things from happening to you. And that is not what we're talking about here today. Positive self-talk is not the answer. All right. Truthful, biblical self-talk. That's the answer. That's why that sermon from last week about biblical illiteracy was so important. Because the answer to not being caught up into captivity and negativity is not positivity. It's the truth of God's word. And if you don't know God's word, how can you have a God's word drenched conversation in your mind? You can't. So we got to come back to knowing God's word. If you don't know the Bible, then your internal conversation is going to be void of God's truth. And of his word. And then you're likely to have an internal conversation that's not a conversation about truth, but it's a conversation about lies. Apart from God's word, you're likely not to have an internal conversation that's focused on God. Your internal conversation is focused on you. Have you noticed that? The main person you think about in your internal conversation is who? You selfish dogs. Can't believe y'all. But that's true, right? We are always the theme in that internal conversation. Apart from God's word, we're going to have a self-talk that's not filled with God's word. It's not filled with God's spirit. If it's not filled with God's spirit, it's not filled with love. It's not filled with joy or peace or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. 
but rather we're going to have one that's filled with negativity. A negativity that tanks our joy and our love and our peace, confines our hearts into captivity. And we, as I heard a brother say this morning, I just am praying for the Lord to restore the joy of my salvation. We've all been there probably, right? Where negativity took such a big hold of our hearts, we no longer were experiencing the joy of our salvation. I, I think when we struggle with negativity, it, it is in a couple of ways. One, and you may want to write this down, it begins with inner negativity. Everything that I've been talking about up to this point, that inner conversation, those negative thoughts, negative emotions, negative attitudes that we just rehearse in our minds. You know, oftentimes I ask people, do you know how to meditate? No, I don't know how to meditate. We all know how to meditate. That internal conversation is meditation. We're just typically meditating on the wrong thing, right? And oftentimes we see this inner negativity manifested in this. You might want to write this down. Self-pity or the perpetual perception of myself that I'm the victim the dictionary defines self-pity as this, a self-indulgent dwelling on your own sorrows or misfortunes. Are we going to have sorrows? Yeah, Jesus said so. He said in this world you will have trouble, right? But, over, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Listen, adversity is going to come to all of us. Nobody gets to opt out of that class in life. It's required. It's going to happen in this broken world our broken lives. And look, the reality is, the truth is, as I look across the room this morning, there's people in this room that I don't know why, but it seems like you've gotten more than your fair share of adversity. I wish I knew why. I know you wish you knew why, but I don't know, and you don't know either. And I just want to say to you, it's okay to feel all the negative emotions and thoughts that come along with that. That's normal. That's natural. Sometimes that even brings us to where we even feel negativity toward God. That also is normal at times in our life. Listen, I want you to know today, it is okay to not be okay. In fact, I think the best thing that we can do is to be honest with the Lord and honest with ourselves and brothers and sisters in the Lord when we're not okay, own it. Because we're all going to be there. A lot of people in our church are there right now. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. We don't want to overindulge ourselves in self-pity. We don't want to embrace the identity of victim because that's not who we are in Jesus. You're not the only one who has struggled with that. You're not the only one that has been prone to self-pity and to think of yourself as a victim. Anybody ever heard of Elijah, the great prophet out of the Old Testament? He's, a, he's an example out of the Bible and not even the only one, but he's one. He has this great victory from God on top of Mount Carmel. Fire falls down from heaven. He destroys the prophets of Baal. I mean, he is on top of the world. 
And the evil queen Jezebel puts a hit out on him. And he hears about it. And he runs for his life and he runs scared. And he's got his head between his legs. And he's wallowing in self-pity. He's a victim. He's, he thinks he's a victim to everything that's going on in the world. And he wants to die. He wants to quit. He wants to throw in the towel. And, and, and God shows up in the middle of his pity party. And God doesn't crush him. No, God's going to speak the truth to him. Elijah, what are you doing? God, I've served you with all my heart. I've served you. I've given you my whole life. And, and now I'm going to die. I'm, they're going to kill me because of this. God, where are you? And I'm the only one. I'm all by myself, God. Nobody cares about me. Nobody else is doing anything right, God. I'm the only one. You ever felt those thoughts within your own mind? I'm the only one that cares about this place. I'm the only one that cares about this family. I'm the only one. That's where Elijah was. I'm the only one. And God says, buddy. I wasn't going to say buddy. But I think it probably felt that way. Dude, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 other people just like you that are following me and obeying me and serving me. That's what negativity does, right? It pulls us into this captivity, all these inner negative thoughts and emotions, and we begin to have this indulgence into self-pity. Hey, you know what self-pity is, by the way? I'm going to give you a Deeply theological definition of self-pity. Self-pity is a big fat liar. Just write that down. It is a big fat liar. How has self-pity been lying to you recently? What lies has it been telling you? I don't think there's a person in this room that hasn't heard the lies of self-pity in some shape, form, or fashion this week. What are those lies in your life, that I'm the only one, I'm the victim, nobody cares. Here's another way we see inner negativity in our life, guilt, shame, perfectionism. You let yourself down. You let somebody else down. You missed the mark. You bumbled, you stumbled, you fumbled, you messed up. Now you've been exposed for what you truly are which is a human. And maybe the voice that you hear in your head is the voice of that person that you just want their approval so bad, and you just keep hearing that voice, you're not enough. You can't do it. You're a failure. You always have been. You always will be. Maybe that voice is your voice because you hold yourself to this superhuman standard. You're always telling yourself, you don't have what it takes, that you don't measure up, that you're a disappointment, that you're going to have to pay for the wrongs that you've done. You know what guilt and shame and perfectionism are? Big fat liars. I don't know the Greek word for big fat liar, but I'm going to make one up maybe this week, all right? How has guilt and shame and perfectionism been lying to you this week? Sucking you in to captivity, through negativity, pulling you away from dwelling in and abiding in Jesus. Listen, those accusatory thoughts, they're not from God. They're from Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. They come straight out of the pit of hell. You are not defined by 
how you have fallen short. You are not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your, 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 your missteps and your bumbles and your fumbles. If you're a child of God today, you're defined by the perfection of Jesus. Not defined by your imperfection, but defined by his perfection. If you're in Christ today, God no longer looks at you and sees imperfection. He no longer looks at you and sees sin. He sees the finished work of Jesus. And you're defined by Christ and by him alone. What, what lies has shame and guilt and perfectionism been telling you? Here's a third way we see this inner negativity. Low expectations and self-defeating thoughts. You, you ever been there? Your expectations of yourself, your, of life, the world, others are just low. Self-defeating thoughts is all you have. You know what I'm talking about? That's the person who is always eager to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. Right? I mean, why should we even go to counseling? It is not going to help. Why should I have that conversation with him? He never listens. Why would I apply for that job? There is no way that I'll ever get it. Self-fulfilling prophecies, right? No, you're not going to get the job because you won't apply for it. No, you, he won't listen because you don't talk. And you don't keep talking. It's Valentine's Day, listen. You don't get the help because you don't go to counseling. Low expectations. Nobody sees me. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. Nobody cares. So why even try? You know what self-defeating low expectations are? Big fat liars. How did you know? You guys are brilliant. Does anybody have another Greek word for that? See me after class because I don't know, but I'd like to know. What lies are self-defeating thoughts? Low expectation thoughts. What lies have they been telling you this week? Here's another one. Worry, fear. Can we just agree to save ourselves a little time on the sermon today? And I don't have to describe that one because we all get that one, right? Worry and fear. Have you found in the last year that it's been so easy to just have a conversation that seems so focused on worry and fear? Man, this last year has taken a toll on us. You know, one of my concerns going forward is that we now are so used to the negativity, the conversation that we have in our minds of worry and fear and worry and fear. I'm really concerned that from now on, if anybody just says boo, we might fall apart. Because that's such a strong captor. They can take us into a place of captivity. Worry and fear can keep us from seeing God clearly. Knowing Him. Dwelling in Him. Living in Him. Can I ask you today, what lies has worry and fear been saying to you recently? And, and by the way, do you know what worry and fear are? Say it, class. Big fat liars. They are. Now look, those are just some of the ways that we experience inner negativity in our life, but here's the problem too. 
inner negativity then doesn't just affect us internally, does it? Then it's going to become external negativity. It's going to come out of us. It's going to come through us. And some of the ways we're going to see exterior negativity or outer negativity is like this. We're going to have a desire to control. I want to control the situation. I want to control everybody. I want to control everything. I want to control this person. Or the outer negativity may look like blaming, criticizing, gossiping, tearing down, or being resistant toward change, just staying stuck, or being angry, or bitter, or resentful, or jealous. Here's the sermon in a nutshell. And I know, Ray, you're thinking, well, why didn't you just start with that? Now that some of you are up to double-digit thoughts, maybe you're ready for this. You cannot abide in negativity and in Jesus at the same time. You cannot scary thought, isn't it? Because we all, I think, earlier were just affirming that, yeah, I'm, I'm in negativity a lot. You know what that means? I'm seldom dwelling in Jesus then. Because I can't dwell in negativity and dwell in Him. I can't abide in negativity and abide in Jesus. Negativity wants to take your heart and your mind into captivity and throw away the key. So look, let's quickly talk about this. Write this down. How do we make our minds mind? You with me, Kyler? You with me? How do we make our minds mind? What's up, my man? You good? I'm, at, I'm picking on Kyler because he knows how to mind. He's sitting in church like on the money, minding. I'm looking at Kyler and I'm going, how do I get my mind to do that? How do I make my mind mind? Let me give you a couple of things to write down. Number one, don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Listen to what the Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You ever say, well, I'm just going to go in my heart. The Bible goes, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Above all things, the heart is desperately wicked. You can't believe what you're always thinking. Not everything is true that you're thinking. Don't trust your thoughts. Listen. Your thoughts are not the final authority of your life. What is the final authority? The Word of God. This is perfect truth. We talked about this last week. This is the final authority over my life. I'm not going with my gut. I'm not going with my heart. I'm not going to just fall prey to believing everything that I'm thinking. But God, what are you saying out of your Word? That's the authority of my life. Our minds are bombarded by lies constantly, constantly. In this world, it just never stops, and we're lying to ourselves. Just because you think something, that doesn't mean it's true. How do you make your mind mind? Don't believe everything you think. Secondly, guard your mind against garbage. You knew that. You've been hearing that all your life. Garbage in, garbage out. Proverbs 14, 15 says, Only simpletons believe everything they're told. Next Grace Life t-shirt. Don't be a simpleton. That'd be cool. We'd sell lots of those, right? Simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent, the wise, carefully consider their steps. We've got to be more selective about what we're allowing into our minds. 
This goes back to the sermon on digital distractions. You see how a lot of these things work together? Digital distractions, biblical illiteracy, idolatry, busyness, negativity. They all work together to lure us away into captivity. We've got to be more selective, y'all. Less media. Less news. Less social media. I'm not trying to say exactly what to do, but we, I think, can agree we all need to be more selective of what we're letting in to our minds. Guard your minds. Set the boundaries. And then replace the lies with the truth of God's word. Not, not just positive thinking, but the truth of God's word. Here's the third thing to make our minds mine. Renew your mind daily. Renew your mind daily. The older you get, the more you're going to come to realize this. By the time you get to the end of the day, your mind is shot, right? For some of us, those 10,000 thoughts wipe us out by 9 o'clock at night, right? I can't think another thought. I'm just done. I feel my mind shutting down. That's what happens. You know what we got to do the next day? Renew it. How do you renew your mind? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You know how they renew their mind? You know how people that don't know Jesus renew their mind? With just more junk, more lies, more negativity. Not us. Don't do that. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. It'll change everything about your life. When your thoughts change, it'll change everything about your life. When it's God changing your thoughts to the truth, it's going to change everything about your life. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, here's how we're going to do that. Here's how we're going to seek to position ourselves for the Lord to renew our minds daily. Tomorrow, today, this is the conversation we want to start to have with ourselves. Okay, you ready? I'm going to outline it for you. And then I can't, I can't come to your bedside in the morning and wake you up and recite this to you, all right? So you write this down, you get it in you, you put it by the bedside. Tomorrow morning you wake up with this and you read it, you go over it, you spend some time on it, you spend some time on it throughout the day, you spend some time on it again at the end of the day. Begin to make this the inner conversation of your mind. Number one, God is faithful. God is Faithful. I want to begin the day. I want to continue throughout the day. 10,000 thoughts today. I want 10,000 of those thoughts to begin with this truth. God is faithful. Before I think about what's going on, before I think about this situation that I'm in, let that thought first be started with this thought, God is faithful. I'm about to go into a difficult conversation. I've got a challenge at work. God is faithful as I go into this moment. God is faithful as I stand here and have this moment in my life. God is faithful as I get this phone call now that I didn't want to get. God is faithful as I've just learned some life-shattering news. God is faithful. The conversation, the thought always has to start with God. The problem with our negative thinking is it always starts with me. How do I handle this? How do I control this? How do I walk with this? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to deal with this? How am I not going to kill this person in my life? How am I? How am I? But let our conversation start with God. He's faithful. 
In Exodus 34, God is parading in front of Moses. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, that's Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling, this is cool, God's like just putting on a parade of himself in front of Moses so that Moses can know him better. And God's parading by Moses, and he says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. That's what's got to parade across our minds all day tomorrow, that he is the Lord. He is filled with mercy and compassion, and he is a faithful God. Instead of all the negativity constantly parading, it is the character of God and the faithfulness of God that has got to be parading across our thoughts all day, every day. Second thing, you're going to have to tell yourself all day long, not only is God faithful, but number two, this faithful God, he has saved me. He saved me. I belong to him now. I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. I'm his. He has staked his reputation on my salvation The glory and the honor of his name is in my salvation. He's not going to drop me. He's not going to abandon me because that would dishonor himself. That would bring dishonor to his name. He is so jealous for his name and for his glory. I can rest in this fact that in my salvation, I am fully saved to the uttermost. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. How? By trusting in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And so stuff is falling apart in my life, but God, you're faithful and you have saved me. See how this is working? See how this is working for us? You with me? That, this is truth. This is not big fat liars anymore. This is the truth of God's word. God is faithful. He has saved me. Third thing, this God that is faithful and who has saved me, he's also in control. Doesn't feel like anything's in control, but God is in control. He holds the whole world in his hands. There is nothing that's going on that he is not allowing for that to happen. And that's a source of comfort and worship and not fear and anxiety. Psalm 47, this psalm is probably written when King David's got the Ark of the Covenant back, right? The Ark of the Covenant is the dwelling place of God. And they're bringing it back now to God's people, to Jerusalem. And they're celebrating because God is in their midst. Hey, by the way, you know why we don't need the Ark of the Covenant today? Because Trey McKinney is the Ark of the Covenant. Rick is the Ark of the Covenant. Schuyler is the Ark of the Covenant. We are the dwelling place of God. He abides in us. He lives in us. God is in our midst. So with that in view, the words of Psalm 47 are as true for us because God is in our midst as it was true for David when the Ark of the Covenant was in their midst. Listen to Psalm 47. Come, everyone. Clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. You've been hearing anybody talk like that lately? Christians ought to be. We ought to be because God is in our midst. Come on, y'all. Let's clap. Let's shout because God is in our midst. Shout to God with joyful praise for the Most High is awesome. He is the great king of all the earth. He subdues the nations before us. But politics, pastor, no, no. He's in our midst. He subdues the nations before us, putting our enemies beneath our feet. But COVID, pastor, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus is in our midst and he has put the enemies beneath our feet. He chose the promised land as our inheritance, the proud possession of Jacob's descendants whom he loves. God has a Ascended with a mighty shout. The Lord has ascended with trumpets blaring. Sing praises to God. Sing praise. What's wrong with you? Hadn't you watched the news? What's wrong with you? Don't you know who's in me? Sing praises to God, for God is the king over all the earth. 
Praise him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations. Don't you see what's happening in the world? Don't you understand God's reigning over it all? Sitting on his holy throne. The rulers of the world have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. Hello, Republicans. Hello, Democrats. Hello, Socialists. Hello, China. Hello, Russia. Hello, North Korea. Our God is God. Our God is king. He is king of all kings. For all the kings of the earth belong to God and he is highly honored everywhere that's the parade that's the sermon we're preaching that God is faithful and God has saved me and God is in control and then this one I need to because even though I know all of that Carlos I still sin I can preach he's faithful he, he he's in control he saved me and then I still go still go out and I sin all that preaching, all this good news to myself comes to a halt, right? Over, done, blown it. Next 8,463 thoughts aren't going to have anything to do with God because that thought was just bad, right? No, 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 no. We repent. We confess. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess that, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the next thought is the thought of God. He's faithful. He has saved me. He's in control. And he forgives me. I don't get hauled off to captivity again. Fifth one, last one. And God will keep me. No matter what happens today. No matter what happens to me. He's going to keep me. I think about old Noah. You think Noah had some bad days in that ark? Like every one of them. But the worst day in the ark was still better than one day outside the ark, wasn't it? Are children of God sometimes going to have some bad days in Jesus? Yes, we will. But our worst day in Jesus is far better than our best day outside of Jesus. And I can rest knowing that whatever happens, he's going to keep me. He's going to hold me fast. He's going to bring me through this and through this life to a better one. Romans 8, Paul says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, all these bad days we might have, despite all that, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is faithful. God has saved me. God is in control. God forgives me, and God's going to keep me. Let me give you one other tool, okay? Philippians 4.8. Listen to what Paul says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. You think when they read that letter from Paul, they were, like y'all kind of think about me whenever Paul goes, one final thing, and they're thinking, yeah, you're gonna, you, there's one more chapter, isn't it, right? If I go one more thing, no, 
Paul said one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Eight ways we ought to be thinking. There's eight good questions we can ask ourselves about our thoughts. Eight boxes. See how you do. Is it true? Is what I'm thinking, is what I'm saying, is my attitude, is my action here, is it true? Would God say that is absolutely a true thought? Is it honorable? Would God say that thought that you're having right now honors me? Three, is it right? Would God say that that thought, that attitude, that speech is right? That it rightly comports with his character and his nature. That it's a true and right perfection, reflection of who he is. Is it pure? Would God say about that thought or about that thing that you said, that is pure, it's holy, it's morally clean? Would God say it's lovely? Would God say that that is showing and displaying His perfect love to the world around you? Is it admirable? Would God say, Leo, the way you're thinking right now, I admire that. Would God say that about how you're thinking, about how you're talking? Is it excellent? Would God say, Cat... Your mind right now is excelling in Christ-likeness. Would he say that? Would that be God's estimation of your thoughts? That it is excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Would God say, Brian, that a boy. That's how I want you to be thinking. Would God give me praise for this thought? If you checked the no box on any of those questions, then beware. That old captor of negativity is crouching at your door. He's about to take you down that familiar path where you are in negativity rather than dwelling in, abiding in Jesus. Remember that time we talked about Paul says take every thought captive and you feel that thought, man, going that way. We got to come back. No, God is faithful. God is saving. God is in control. That thought's going the wrong way. No, 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 no. God is faithful. God is in control. God has saved me. God will keep me. I belong to him. Jesus, we bow before you. Just confessing our deep need of you. Our inner conversations. More times than not probably check the no boxes.
Holy Spirit, God, would you set us free from the clutches of negativity today? Fill us with your spirit and fill us with the truth of your word. And change our hearts. Change our minds. Transform us. And make us more like Jesus. We want the joy of our salvation. We want the peace of God to rule in our lives. But God, a lot of us are far too familiar with negativity. We've made it our home. God, you alone should be our home where we abide and dwell. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, I I think it was when I read this part of Bob's manuscript that he's writing that I just knew this is what I need to hear. And I think this is what our church family needs to hear. What are we going to do with it? Would you invite the Lord to change your heart, change your mind? you commit yourself to doing what you got to do to make your mind mine to parade who God is and what he has done and who you are in him to parade that before you at the beginning of your day throughout your day at the end of your day we've got about 9,000 thoughts left in this day Would you just think for a moment how you want to use those? Think about your thoughts. How you're going to spend them the rest of the day. 9,000 thoughts are far more valuable than $10,000. You're going to get a fresh 10 tomorrow. How are you going to spend them? We're going to stand in a second. We're going to sing this song. And I want you to embrace this song as like practice. Practice for that moment when you feel the negativity coming in. When you feel the negativity coming in like high tide. And then what you got to do in that moment. This song is practice for that moment. When we start to sing it, you'll know why I'm saying that. Right? Because this is a song where... And what you're saying in the song and what you're thinking in the song, what you're feeling in the song, it changes. That's what's got to happen today, tomorrow, okay? So let's stand. This is our practice today to not waste any more thought.